1: Oh, hello. It's Thursday, and it's time to welcome you to Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Gathered around the table this Thursday, we've got Patrick Klepik. Hello. Danielle Riendo.
2: I'm inspired and
1: provoked. And uh, joining us for the first time on Waypoints, uh, we have Motherboards' Jason Kobler. Hey, I am so excited. First time, long time.
2: yes. Hell
1: yeah. yeah. Do they get that right or is it, or is
3: it like it's, Kebler? It's Kebler, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know
4: what?
0: <laughs> you know, appreciate Jason letting it so go. so close. Probably not the
3: first time. No, not not the first time and also, uh, Kobler is like the one that I don't mind. I get Keebler a lot,
1: the elf. Um, and yeah. that one, I'm like, oh, there's that no... So yeah, I wasn't, wasn't going to blind fire like... into that yeah. one. <laughs> uh, uh, Alright. So, Patrick, I think the story that you are leading, like that you picked out for this week, uh, that when we first talked about it, you were just, you know, in the grips of it. Uh, the, the story was sending shivers up your spine. It's uh, called "What Happened After My Son Joined the Alt Right." It's a piece at the uh, Washingtonian. And why don't you lay out what this is, like the broad outlines of the story, and then we can get into it.
0: Yeah, the the broad outlines is it's written uh, anonymously, uh, and there is a pseudonym given to uh, a thirteen year old uh, son named Sam, who uh, essentially, uh, as a result of an incident at school in which what's uh, alleged or depicted in the piece is that a like joke between two friends was interpreted uh, by uh, one of the girls in their class to be a form of sexual harassment, some, something that was said to them. It's not really made explicit what was happening there. That's one of a number of parts of the piece that are, we'll pick, get into that I think <laughs> are worth picking apart. Um, uh, as a result, um, the, the school comes down very hard on on the son, uh, like sort of ostracizes him before his parents become involved. There are threats of, of the police becoming involved, being expelled from school, um, all which seems over uh, a, what is pitched as a misunderstanding about a joke between two friends that as uh, following some uh, sexual harassment, like sort of advisory training that happened to the administration of the school, um, they sort of like throw the book at this kid. And then so he then feels as though uh, the, the voice of this, this girl was elevated over the truth of his own. Um, They pull him from the school and put him into a a private uh, school to try and give him a fresh start. But, being ostracized from or being taken from his school from his friends from everything that was familiar to him uh compounded with this experience he then looks for other things to fill the void what fills the void uh for him is 4 chan it's reddit um it's uh you know youtube algorithms leading to certain figures aren't um, outlined in this piece, but you can imagine folks like Sargon of Akkad, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson. It's it's alleged that, that sort of ilk, people that are, you know, very anti-feminist, social justice warrior, um, Kekistan, you know, t- pick your memes and your sort of anti-feminist, um, anti-immigrant sort of rhetoric. Um, and the story of this is basically of parents uh, losing their son who they uh, portray as an otherwise kind, empathetic uh lovely child who I think at one point it is quoted that um, teachers described him as someone who was a champion of the underdog uh, suddenly finds uh, himself around the family, not coming to dinner, referencing memes, talking about the crimes of Hillary Clinton. Um, And then the story like sort of culminates in the two of them uh, attending a big Washington, D.C. MAGA rally in which uh, he has... I tried to pitch this without getting to my second reading, where I started having some suspicions and some yeah. like misgivings about it. But like the, the the charitable reading of it is that he goes, he he meets face to face with a lot of the people he'd been interacting with online. He was a moderator on uh, a, a Reddit board that was dedicated to a lot of this um, um, this discourse, these these discussions, these ideas, these memes, um, and in meeting some of these figures, who he had built up in his mind they sort of crumble a bit in front of him, aren't nearly as powerful, as interesting as he'd imagined. And over the course of one magical discussion with a counter-protester, uh, <laughs> uh, he, the, the, the illusion of the alt-right that gripped him uh, disappears. radicalized immediately. And, and yeah, right. And he's de-ra- immediately de-radicalized over like, one mention of um, uh, someone like sort of standing up to this in, the, in a crowd of people who had different ideas. Um so, I, okay, I failed to, like, not get my second read <laughs> in, into this um, as I got towards the end because that was one of the major red flags. But um, I, I think whatever my misgivings of how this is written, I think some of the takeaways from, from the, the mother who wrote it, um, I still found it to be – there's, I think, a lot of still interesting truth to this piece that is illustrative of, like, larger trends that we have talked about. Um, you know, recently I've been writing on uh, Vice Games – Vice Games, um, <laughs> about uh different voices of Gamergate, like Sargon of Akkad, who were like very prominent voices in the Gamergate um uh, movement, uh becoming involved in European uh politics. And so I think the notion of my impressionable son after a traumatic moment getting involved in the alt-right is not a hard story to believe, and it's probably one is one that I have seen echoed in other pieces. Um, but this one having like a very specific arc about this family, uh, yeah, my first reading of it was being very gripped and very scared and looking at my daughter and being like, oh this internet is going to be so much worse in 10 years. this is already what it's like. what am I going to do then So that's that's where I ended with this this Washington Washingtonian piece It struck me as like um
3: th- like Trump supporters say, oh well, you know, even if the facts aren't right the the vibe is true and I think that's sort of what you're saying here. It's like, we're not sure if we can trust that this guy, everything that was told here, especially because it's written by an anonymous writer with a pseudonymous, you know, teen. But it, it like the vibe of it, it, it rung true to me as someone who spent a lot of time on like the deeper, darker corners of the internet. It just seems like, you know, you very easily could end up going down a rabbit hole and believing these things if you felt you were aggrieved at school. But um, I mean, where did this start to go? Like, where did your misgivings start to come in here, Patrick?
0: I think it's I I my misgivings with the piece were I don't I think the mother is giving like a maybe more charitable reading of like what occurred because that's like what you're going to do in hindsight mm-hmm. over like a traumatic experience. I guess I just don't trust her viewpoint entirely on it. So I don't even necessarily think that the story is untrue. Like again, like you said, Jason, like you spend enough time on the internet the last couple of years, like, where there have been plenty of stories of, you know, you got, on one hand, you have, you know, uh, uh, parents, you know, corrupted by the toxicity uh, uh, and, and bubble of uh, Fox News. And on, on the other side, you have young, impressionable kids who fall into toxic crowds on the internet. Like, those things are happening. And so there's, like, nothing about this piece on its face that is... Uh, doesn't suggest that this might have happened to a family. It's It's just... Sort of uh, the end is where I the end when I reread the end that's like when I started going back and like reading certain phrases and certain certain paragraphs again about like just like meeting one counter protester that like stood up in in front in the face of of uh, MAGA shitheads and then like it just felt like I wanted. I wanted way more at the end that's, like, unpacking, like, what happened, how does someone... And maybe the kid doesn't know, right? But, like, the kid has so many, like, specific phrases that, like, "the Mommy, how did you feel? Did Were you angry when I was in the cult? And there's, like, a phrase where she puts, like, he's never used a phrase like that before. And in my head, I'm like, one... On one hand, having raised a kid, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And sometimes, like, kids... Like, a kid that, that old... It wouldn't shock me if they said something that was smarter than in our heads what we think kids are capable of at that age at the same time it felt like a very the story was in a rush to like wrap up and get to the happy ending when I actually thought like a lot of the unpacking that needed to happen was like the snickering that the parents were doing behind his back like how that like fed into like the child's like per- perception of victimhood like how did the kid disconnect like I needed more about the incident that occurred at school. Like, did he act? Was that actually a meme, or did he say something shitty? And then the arc can still be true, where it's like maybe he said something legitimately shitty that he should have to unpack why it was wrong. But the school still also coming down probably too hard left an aggrieved opening for victimhood that was then filled by the internet. Um, yeah, yeah, that's mine. My...
2: It, that was that was my whole thing is like not understanding really the nature of what actually happened to start the whole thing that comes from somewhere right it saying say he did say something like pretty crappy right it it still had to come from somewhere like a 13 year old isn't just gonna like completely out of absolutely nowhere you know sprung from the mind out of nowhere say something right there's already some toxic masculinity probably going on that he's exposed to and it, it, it really is just a failure of both the school for not and everybody always blames the schools for everything and I know teachers have a hard job this is just saying that at first but there's very little guidance I think for young men like the very 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 little guidance for like how to actually be how to actually live your life and be a person who isn't a piece of crap right and I think this is like a pretty common refrain in a lot of this but it, it is actually true like if you're a very young boy, like, where do you actually get your knowledge from? Where do you actually get your wisdom from? And it's it's okay. There's YouTube algorithms telling you one thing, and there's like an entire world of toxic masculinity in every form of media you look at, telling you you know something else. Like it, it is actually a huge failure of how we as a culture raise children in general and and boys in particular.
1: But I think for me, something was sitting uneasily with me throughout this piece is that the entire thing is framed. This kid was one way and then an event happens and spins him off into this different trajectory and he turns into a completely different person. The parents don't recognize and then they have to sort of bring him back. And the part that I kept returning to is what if all of that is a profound misreading of what happened here? What if there's some, what, what if he's the same kid at the start of the story And he follows the trajectory that a lot of kids like this end up following. What gets him in trouble is that he's part of a group of friends who like just they they loved a meme. They're just sharing the you know they're on this endless text thread, just sharing you know just sharing those dank memes with each other. And one of them, and then the way this is all framed framed is they say like he and his friend say something shitty in a private conversation. Is at a lunch table with a girl who takes offense, reports them for sexual harassment. Immediately I started to have questions as to what actually happened there. Like, no, that was that was a private conversation. Is come on, like we remember what a fucking lunch table is. Like, (laughs) no, like you sit with people because you're all talking together. Like, if if you got overheard, like I can easily believe it wasn't a private conversation. You wanted, you wanted to be overheard. You were, you were, you were talking shit. And the fact that this begins with, like, him and his friends being really in, like, you know, meme culture and shit. And then that just continues when he ends up hanging out in 4chan type spaces and on, like, alt-right Reddit, where, again, it's just endless memeing, uh, you know, with with his friends. And to me, I'm like, I don't think – I'm not sure a change actually happened there. I'm yeah, not I mean, actually sure that that's –
3: the piece is written as though it's like before internet and after internet, and then the, like, the <laughs> right. intervening thing that happened was this event at school, but I think you picked up on something very important there, and I think it's something that we've written about a lot at Motherboard, which is you can't really divorce the impacts of what is said online from the intent of of what was behind it, and I think that extends into the real world where, you know, we've talked to academics who have studied meme culture and who wrote, you know, PhDs on 4chan and the impacts of it and that sort of thing. And um, her name's Whitney Phillips and Ryan Milner is her colleague. You should definitely look up their work if you haven't heard of them before. But the the point being is that meme culture comes from somewhere and, uh, you know, not all memes are bad, obviously, but many of the memes uh, sort of other and belittle and make fun of traditionally marginalized people people of color queer people etc and so if they're joking about this sort of thing we have no idea what the meme was what the joke was and i think that the mom probably thought oh yeah well they were just joking but Mm -hmm. that joke comes from that culture that is probably the same culture that he retreated to after this whole incident
1: well and she refers to later and you you put me in mind of this and i'm i'm curious to hear what you, what you make of this later she refers to the fact that like she would see ghastly shit on his screen and be like what the hell is that and he would immediately turn around and say oh you don't get it it's ironic sorry it's a it's a post ironic meme and it was all, and, and she sort of admits she couldn't follow the thread. She, like it just sort of vanishes into this forest of self reference and infinite recursion of like irony and, uh, you know, double entendre. And isn't that kind of what he's doing at the start? Like, isn't that kind of the story she's peddling at the start where, oh, you know, he's just on, he just had these memes with his friends and it was taken out of context. And then later she sees the type of shit that he's slinging around with his friends. And his response is, you're taking it out of context. And I'm, like, the thing I'm curious about what you make of this, Jason, is there is this element of deniability built into meme culture, right? Like, the part of getting the joke is getting all the meanings and how you can conceal them. And I guess I'm curious, like, do you think that stuff is inherently sinister uh, when when it comes to, like, dissembling about the intent of a meme what the what the butt of the joke is i think that the more we learn about it the impact of
3: meme culture the more it's become apparent that just trolling has never been just trolling Mm -hmm. and that things that seemed very innocent and ironic at first like you know 10 years ago at, at sort of the outset of the rise of meme culture have always been very hurtful have always you know, preyed on people who have been traditionally marginalized. I think something that put this into perspective for me was uh, this, this writer, Whitney Phillips wrote about uh, concern trolling on like, memorial pages, like Facebook memorial pages. This was like a weird thing that 4chan did, you know, 10 years ago, where, you know, a kid would die, and their parents would set up a memorial page for them. And then they would have like, a ton of people invade that page and make fun of the person who had died and then they would say oh like we're just trolling and of course that's like a really really fucked up thing to do but at that time people were like oh you, you just don't get it like these people are taking this too seriously they're taking the death of their child too seriously <laughs> like and, and that sounds like insane to say yeah. out loud now but that's a that's an extreme version of it but you start looking at like Oh, uh you don't think like Jews burning in an oven is funny. We're making fun of the Holocaust. Like I we're don't you, Yeah, we're, we're shitposting. You don't right. get it. And it's like there are people who see that and see that, "Oh, I'm not welcome in this space. I can't participate in this culture. The people who can participate in this culture are white men. People who identify as or who present themselves as white men on these different spaces." It's it's almost like you're a woman or or like a female identifying person posting on 4chan and the first thing to even be taken seriously in any like way, shape or form is like tits or get the fuck out. Like right. th- yeah. there's all these different things where you have to uh, signal that you are part of the culture before you're able to even participate in it. And that pushes out all these different people and ultimately makes it a very uh,
1: like toxic space, I think. Yeah. There's another element of this like for me this is where I started to really wonder what Sam was all about there's this point where where she's talking about how he's getting radicalized online and how he just has questions about what happened to him and 4chan and uh, Reddit were there with answers and it was the sjWs it was feminist etc and on the one hand I think this this rings true because like it's obviously it's it's observable. Uh, In terms of how these arguments are framed, how, uh, you know, young white men are radicalized by recasting themselves as the victims of these powerful cultural forces. On the other hand, there's this line where, you know, talking about why Sam was so eager to latch on to this. Sam prides himself on questioning conventional wisdom and subjecting (sighs) claims to intellectual scrutiny. And I hear that. Ben Shapiro. Yeah, this is what I mean. (laughs) It's like what you just described as a little asshole. Yeah. Like this is like we talk about and this is a hard thing to parse. I think in general there's a a general desire to raise kids to not just be like blindly obedient, uh to raise them to have a healthy degree of skepticism. But the only people I've ever known who like really made it a point of pride to always be contrarian. And immediately, like, sort of uh, attack anything they perceive as, the, you know, the conventional wisdom and, you know, subjecting things to intellectual scrutiny, which you can definitely I'm do just when a you're devil's age. advocate. I'm just asking <laughs> Literally, wow. the only people I knew, like, who did this shit, uh, like, routinely were, like, teenage objectivists. And, like, you know what I mean? It was, like, usually that was the hallmark of people who were very much, like, autodidacts. And didn't know how, like because they couldn't themselves parse the information that they were they were being given and couldn't, like subject themselves to any kind of scrutiny, they immediately projected all that out into the world, right? So that like everything became about uh, disproving, they're completely like naive, unfounded hypotheses, and that is kind of the character that that she sketches out here for Sam. Like you can you can dress that up however you want, but again, immediately I see this, and I'm like, Sam was primed and ready to go for this, right? Like this is Sam was Sam sounds like the archetypal easily led, easily radicalized, yeah, to
0: climb over. Yeah. Like he was he was ready, like. There was there was something ready for it to just be lit and then boom um, he was sort of like like you said primed for like to be swayed even further than where he was to to begin with and also I mean I'm uh, I am uh, deeply sympathetic to some degree of like you can't look at your kids objectively like that's part of what this piece is like revealing of like I you know my kids only two and a half but um, I have seen myself knee jerk at times when like her and when things occur she's uh, been a kind nice person but like uh, you just you just can't like you cannot look at your kid objectively like it is it is literally I think impossible to do you need outside viewpoints in order to like deconstruct your own parent you do like you you know I'm imagining you
1: asking like Rob I need you to level with me
0: (laughs) but that's like your like co- your close friends family yeah. are like supposed to do right like, like hey actually like your kids kind of a shithead maybe you need like i've done like I've, i have like a family where i'm like they just don't say no to their kid at all and that's a big part of why their kid is a shithead right now and it's going to take a long time to unravel that because they didn't do it early um that's me privately shit talking their parenting um but like th- th- and that's part of what i, I think this piece the, a trap it falls into rhetorically is that part of what this 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 mother is writing is, of course, going to be tainted by like when you're talking about a kid who's curious, you're going to err on the side of like, oh, it's the good curious. And they were tainted by bad elements, extreme elements of the Internet. And you're not going to necessarily fall in like, well, actually, maybe we didn't fully equip our kid with the tools to understand and question when they might be captured by an extreme element in like a particularly vulnerable moment and maybe a 13 year old is is ill-equipped to deal with that no matter what because 13 year olds are 13 year olds and like like you're going to get in the throes of things in the way that some kids get into ninjas when they're 13 and some kids get like drawn into the alt-right as a hobby i don't know you know one of the other a 13 year old <laughs> yeah um the one thing the one things that I, I thought of reading this piece that was sort of like bigger picture was about my own like growing up on the internet i think all of us we're part of that sort of like first generation where like the internet was just a part of our lives for like like teens on, basically. Um like how how lucky I was to fall into the communities that I did at this exact age. Like the community I fell into, the IRC channel I fell into, like shout out to Vid Games on Fnet on IRC. <laughs> um it was both like a lot of my early non-school friendships and Made my career. I my whole career was made. I like I randomly fell into a chat room that had d- very decent, loving people that also conveniently happened to work for EGM. Um, <laughs> and but I, but I, but I guess like strip, even stripping that all the way, I found like I felt the community I fell into was an amazing community that like defined how I think about like communities, internet culture, what it means to find a community on the internet. And, like I'm just so thankful that. I happened into that because I just picked a random chat room. Like there was nothing – I didn't do my research. It was like, oh, I was reading this website Gaming Age and they linked to a chat room. I jumped in and in some on some level I got lucky that I found that place. But I'm curious like – I'm curious what other communities like y'all fell into early on, whether you were lucky enough to find nice ones like me or whether you had to like kind of work your way out of different communities before you found the ones that sort of you identified with.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are very few communities out there where you can look at it and say, this is a good community or this is a bad community. And I think, I mean, I think that's uh, that's a really important thing to sort of start this conversation with because I fell into a lot of different communities. Um, you know, one that I, I got really into was the community around Command Conquer General Zero Hour. Yeah, Um, you know, I just I started. Yeah, I mean, I started (laughs) playing that game competitively, and then suddenly, like, I was like, "Oh, how can I be better at this game?" And ended up on a forum somewhere, and suddenly, like, I'm in a clan, and then I'm talking to you know people in Australia every night, and (laughs) suddenly, like, these are my closest friends in the world. At at some point, you know, in in high school, I would say, Um, and I'm talking to them not only about the game but also about politics also about their lives and and that sort of thing. And, you know, this community was one that I would say overall was a very positive experience for me and one that taught me a lot about the fact that People who live in other countries care about the same things that I care about. Like, you know, I was in a clan with someone who lived in Qatar and and someone who lived in Singapore. And I thought that that was really cool. But at the same time, that community was also filled with like homophobia and also like casual racism sometimes. And this is like, I don't know that it was a good community. There were definitely toxic elements of it. And there were definitely like people would get caught cheating or map hacking and they would, you know, get called fucked up things that I wouldn't like say and and that I luckily had an upbringing where and like grew up in a very diverse place where I was like this is not like what you call other people like this is not an insult this is not like a casual thing to throw around this is like a really fucked up thing to say but that didn't make me like stop being friends with those people or leave that community and I think that that's probably how a lot of teens were back then and I'm wondering like of course these communities exist now but um I think that the internet as a whole is a lot more um, like it's there's a lot more platforms now where you're like you're on Reddit and you suddenly like get sucked into these various different things. And it's very it's like one little click to go from like reading about Christopher Hitchens on the atheism subreddit to suddenly being like on the Donald and then being in like a weird discord that's dedicated only to Islam memes, you know, whereas I was like (laughs) on like Totally. Classic. Classic. I was on A to B to C. Yeah, Honestly, like it could very easily happen, you know?
2: That's what's so crazy about it. Like, it's real. Or
3: like, yeah, you're like on Twitter, like following Donald Trump because he's the president or something and he's retweeting some crazy all right stuff and suddenly you go looking for where that com- came from. Whereas like I was on a video games forum and we talked about video games and that's <laughs> yep. it, you know? Yep.
2: Yeah, I think I was both lucky and unlucky in some ways to have not been on the internet at all as a kid as a teen I don't think I had the internet in any form until I was 16 17 and even then we had such a shitty bad old computer that it was like forums like I didn't have like anything more involved than like a very basic message board because we had shitty terrible Rhode Island teacher discount dial-up and it was just not (laughs) not great like, there Wait, were where, ways... were you getting,
0: where were you getting your message boards then, Front? So, it wasn't uh, from like it was AOL Farscape, or
2: something? Uh, like, it was like a Farscape, like, <laughs> fandom message board and, like, some Star Trek message board. That's literally it. That was it when I was, like, no, 16, 17. I'm only
0: laughing because, like, you just, like, you just papered over, <laughs> yes. like, the most Danielle. Like, I was just on some message boards. Like, <laughs> message boards. Farscape, Farscape message boards.
2: <laughs> it's, you know, it's obvious, probably. Um, there are ways in which that's great because I wasn't exposed to a lot of horrible things online. And there's a way in which that was horrible because I was a queer, like, closeted teen who had no idea she was queer until, like, I fell in love with a girl in my senior year of high school. And, like, I thought I was insane. I thought I was crazy, like, completely. So I had no access to, like, good queer community that I possibly could have if I had. You know, we're talking about, like, 2001, 2002 here. This is not, like, the 80s where, like, it would have been impossible to have, like, semi-decent queer communities online. It's just for whatever reason in my life circumstances, it was like it was the 80s. You know what I mean? Like, it was very – I was late, (laughs) I guess, with a lot of this stuff. But it could have been helpful to me to, like, know – like, okay, this is embarrassing, but I'll just tell the story because it's, like, a really illustrative example – I knew nothing about queer sex. Like, I made my first girlfriend go get an, uh, a, an AIDS, an HIV test because I was like, oh, my God, I, I could die. Like, I had no idea. I knew nothing about safer sex for queer people. Uh, and like, if, if you know some things, OK, it's not a bad idea to have to get tested no matter what you are, and who you are. But like, I thought like, oh, my God, because I've had sex with a girl. Like clearly I'm going to die now if she doesn't
4: it, – it's <laughs> oh that
0: – it was
2: that bad. That's how stupid I was. Right. Like frankly, right. like I was that well, stupid.
0: I, I, I'm not sure what, <laughs> Stupid, ign, like ignorance by virtue of not right. having information. I think it's right. a slightly different thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're excused in that okay. regard.
2: Okay, yeah. I mean but but for real, like this is how much I didn't have access to information where if I was a queer teen now – I could potentially have access to good information in communities that could actually tell me things like, okay, here's how to protect yourself. Here's how to be safe. Here's what healthy relationships look like. You know what I mean? Like there are ways in which my not having an internet culture as a, as a queer teen was not the best potentially. So. Well,
0: because it seems like, uh, like the, like a through line between all, you know, all of us, uh, and we, we should still get to you, Robin, like we're uh, you got started, although you recently told us about so we, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> we already have that story. Yeah, we already have that story, so sure maybe we already know. But, like, but like the through line there, right, is, uh, whereas, like, these days, you know, if you want to go, like, be part of, like, a queer community, like, it's a, it's a Google search away to find something that's, like, lots of places that are dedicated to those discussions, nuanced in a billion different vectors. Whereas, like, back then, it was, like, well, where do you start? It's, like, well, I, like. Video games. And, like, that's how I ended up <laughs> the gaming age. And that's sure. how I ended up in, like, a gaming age chat room. Yeah. And, like, that's where – and, like, that's why Danielle ends up in a Farscape message board. And, like, <laughs> yep.
5: that,
0: like it's just – I guess it's, that's also one of the things I wonder about. It, it's impossible to know because, you know, we're all in our 30s and already went through a, a different version of the internet that wasn't as hyper-specific and hyper-niche and, like, and, and hyper-polarized in different ways. Like, there are, there are new extremes that – um probably existed to some degree back then, but weren't nearly as visible um, as they are now. Um, And so I just, I wonder about that, the arc that kids these days, and that's part of why I had the response to this that I did on a first reading was like, you know, how very little of my own experience with the internet will equips me to understand the arc that kids now go through dealing with the internet because the internet isn't just like a tool, like a thing they log on the computer and use like, it's their whole culture. Like it's, it is interwined into everything, into their – to the way they talk, the way they think, the way they interact with their friends. Um, and so I think that's part of like what what like this, this – these parents get wrong in this piece is, is illustrative of like a larger fear is just like you may understand what the internet is. But like there's a, like a, there's a whole difference between how kids use it these days and you're just not equipped to necessarily understand or, or push back on that stuff. If you do find one of your children, like in an in an, an instance where it could grip them in, in a way that like takes hold of one of their personality weaknesses and like throws it
1: to an extreme, yeah. Have the threats there also changed with time, uh, Jason? I'm curious to hear what what you know about this because I think the other online community I was part of uh, back in the day was a wargaming community. And that was about what you'd expect, right? Like a lot of right-wing type people. uh, And then also like more liberal perspectives tended to get like literally banned from the forum uh, just because the moderators skewed really right. And so you could say like really extreme things uh, on the right side of, uh, you know, like uh, anti-Palestinian rhetoric was just like green light. Whatever horrific thing you want to say about Palestinians, uh, that was totally fine in that community. Uh, if you criticized like U.S. military personnel, uh, that was almost certainly a ban. Like that was kind of the like you could you could be talking about like explicit war crimes happening in Iraq. You would be banned. Uh, but if you like called for death to Palestinians, it was like hey, you know maybe tone it down, but it's fine. I was gonna say uh, hey, can you put like what's like the like what
0: is like the arc of the Iraq War at the point that you're like talking about? I'm just wondering where like the temperature is. We're like pre surge.
1: On- Okay, all right, gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah, so like post Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Uh, but in terms of, but in that community, what I never got the sense, people would argue, but never, like, back then, I never had the sense that people were trying to really, like, there was never a risk, I think, of people trying to recruit me, right? Like, that's not what people were there to do. I think post-Gamergate, there's a... I have an incredible concern that white supremacist orgs, uh, like neo-fascist orgs, are aware that, like, the internet is a powerful recruiting tool and there are ways to find disaffected, easy targets uh, that maybe, like, was... Is maybe more conscious now, and I'm I'm curious if that I'm curious if that's backed up by evidence, right? Like like I'm like to me it feels like uh, there's a lot of places now for young white men, particularly, to be radicalized, uh, almost without fully knowing that there's an agenda happening as as is being enacted upon them. But I'm curious if that is an accurate assessment.
3: This is something that strikes me as something that rings true, but that we can't say for sure. It's mm-hmm. just, it's really hard to say how people get radicalized, I think. And there have been a v- variety of stories being like, the alt-right is uh, preying on depression forums and, and that sort of thing. And it seems like that's what I would be trying to do if I were trying to like recruit people to a cause. And it seems like it seems like it's true. It's just I don't have my own reporting, nor have I seen any academic studies that say, yes, this is definitely happening. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, Gamergate very there was a, a funnel from Gamer, Gamergate into the far right into like the Donald and, you know, discord channels where like memes are being actively created. I did this story a couple of years ago where, uh, you know, uh, Trump's troll army, if you want to call them that, was you know, making memes on Discord. And it was basically a Discord that had started at the Donald on Reddit and then like they made a discord for it. And then they made another discord for the people who were just like a little more extreme than the Donald. And then the most, (laughs) yeah. And then the most extreme people there were pulled into- Choose your (laughs) flavor, yeah, Yeah. The most extreme people there and the most artistic ones were pulled into a separate discord that was for like memes only. Like this was where the memes were made. And then they were tested out in like the super extreme ones. And the ones that resonated there were then put to the- donald discord and then they were put to the donald subreddit and then they just sort of like spread that way and so i can it's it's really crazy that's one of my favorite stories i've ever done because i was just like this is just it's really wild it's one of those things where it's like this has just gotten like far too crazy and that uh discord actually uh imploded and no longer exists because of a dispute over anime which i think is like <laughs> just like
0: oh, it's, no. wait 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 yeah. can you can you can you drill down on that do you remember the specifics of the anime you know what i i really don't uh, it's it's <laughs> upsetting right. but
3: but I, I'm going to pull it up. and It's like, not. Okay. It's, it's yeah, definitely
0: it's, something you could have easily forgotten. Yeah. yeah it's,
3: it's, fair. I know that it was over the moderators not agreeing uh, about, like, a specific anime. And they just, like, there was a coup as a result of this. And they shut it down. Like, there's a hostile takeover, and it got shut down. And it was an anime-related dispute that killed, like, the Donald Trump meme discord that had... Literally like 20,000 people on it, like a huge Discord. And so, uh, yeah, I I think that is, that's like a crazy story. And I think it's just like, we don't know how a lot of this stuff works. And ultimately, it it boils down to the interests of, the very specific interests of the moderators and administrators. And that's something that really stuck out to me about this piece that I thought was very good was uh, Sam... Got so into uh, this community that he became a moderator, and ultimately he was like, "Oh, I can't come to the meetup because I have to go to summer camp or something." <laughs> and wh- whether that's like true or not, that's that rings to me to be very true because, uh, you know, I joined various communities and then worked my way up, and I was a moderator of like the Command and Conquer forum, and eventually I was an admin, and I took that so seriously, like that—that that was like my life, and I was like, "Oh, I better like make." good rules and that sort of thing and i'm just curious have Do, heard- i'm with you when i was yeah. in irc
0: there's like uh there were two hierarchies to uh moderating there was a plus v which meant you got like a plus next to your name and then you were like an admin was like i forget exactly like the naming the terminology structure but it was like you if you were plus v then you got you were able to like You had limited, like, things. You couldn't, like, change the topic. You couldn't, like, ban people. But, like, there were certain things you could do. And I remember, like, the day I got, like, the plus access, you know, I was, like, 13 or or 12 or whatever. I was like, goddamn, like, I finally have fucking power. Like, here we go. (laughs) Um, And I, just like you, took it, like, unbelievably seriously so that, you know, years later when I was in the community for, you know, five, six, seven years and I actually had, like, admin access, like, that actually felt less important than like the day I got that first taste of. Which, I mean, this is not a chat room of twenty thousand. This is a chat room of like 35, 40 at the max. Like you're not dealing with like a huge crowd of people, and yet, like that validation, like. And it I opens there, up like a
3: secret, you know, moderators chat room where it's like, oh, let's like talk mm-hmm. about what the rules are going to be, and let's decide which users, like, oh, it, did this cross the line? I'm not sure if that crossed the line. And meanwhile, I'm a 13 year old who has no <laughs> frame of reference for
0: like how. Well, like, and th- and that's and that's part of the, the the bit in the in the piece that resonates where like he like the kid you know talks about how he felt like he was. He had no power, right, or no agency. And at 13, like, you do have, like, such limited power and agency and authority is is guiding a lot of your life, whether it's administrative at a school or your parents or whatever. Like, that is just – that's a lot of – there are so many guardrails, and you're supposed to kind of stay in the middle. And so that's why things like you become a moderator and me getting, like, a plus V in an IRC chat room felt like the world actually saying, like, actually, you're important. Like, your input is valuable, and, like, we'd like to – Allow you to assert some agency over the world around you, even if it's just a fucking chat room about video games.
1: Um, what do we make of the like this de-radicalization story? Is bullshit, right? <laughs> like, I mean, we just like we just don't. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. The the story culminates in him going to this rally and literally, it's the entire thing is so hand wavy. Uh, the author is. You know, they're going around talking to people who are there. And Sam at first is super into like, holy shit, like, you know, Antifa, that's, that's Antifa over there. And they're talking. I buy back. that one though. <laughs> yes, I, do, that I, do I do buy that. That part I do buy. But then it's over the course of like seeing someone standing up to the alt right. They're <laughs> like, damn, that's, that's an underdog. That's bravery. And then immediately we like sort of hard transition to yeah Sam got better and eventually came out he came to us and was like did you hate me when I was part of the cult and at that point like this entire like Sam increasingly feels like a sock puppet he increases like this starts to feel like um, uh, gosh what's what's the what's the way to put it Um, almost like a tale, like a story for improving the moral v- virtue of children it feels you know what I mean it feels it feels, it, it, it feels like and, er- and also yeah. her parenting you know
3: it's like oh I was able to actually like save him sort of
0: <laughs> did, did yeah but there's no like if the point of this story is is this story about the child or is it about the mother and it's like increasingly by the end it feels like oh this is a mother patting herself on the back as opposed to Something horrible happened to our family. Here's what we learned, and here's how we got out of so, it. Because, like, just, Rob, excuse me.
1: No, so it's it's the it's the like you may be skeptical of my methods, where I took my child to a Nazi rally. <laughs> yeah. But, let me, but yeah. reader, let me tell you, yeah. I'm a great mom. Yeah, I
3: was like, why are they going? What is happening? But um, I I I don't know if I buy it or not. I I think that there are two things attention here for me which is one i have gone to meetups from forums online and they have like pierced the veil in a way that i've found to be very like shocking to my system i guess um another community that i was a part of was uh the streetlight manifesto forum for some reason the ska band wow. so was, yeah wow was we're like, learning a lot yeah today. so it was the command conquer forum orioleshangout.com which Good. had its own like its own thing the, the baltimore <laughs> orioles Good. which was oddly like it was run by an ex-military guy who like <laughs> would not like no cussing allowed. No rules. Oh, well, very like very strict rules. But the the rules were like you cannot talk about politics or you're banned. And that's like oddly sort Smart. of work but at the same time, like not talking about politics makes it feel like a very right wing sports forum somehow. Sure. It's and status then, quo. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And but also like respect the troops, like because yeah. <laughs> so it's it's very much like a, a very weird like forum. And then. Uh, The Streetlight Manifesto one, which because it was based in like the Northeast where that band is based, like people would meet up at concerts and like talk to each other. And I remember meeting up with people there and just feeling like, oh, like. There's, like, Perdomo or, like, whatever his, like, username was and being, like, oh, this is, like, a really weird way of talking to people in real life where, you know, we're using – we're, like, at a concert where people are, like, drinking beer and having fun. And, like, we're talking about memes from, like, the the forums and, like, calling each other, like – their usernames instead of their real names and like that's if you could even get up the uh courage to actually speak to each other because it was just like very awkward it's like oh i like noted i recognize that person but i'm here with like my real life friends so am i gonna go talk to them and i I can so what i'm this is like a very long story but what i can see happening is like this kid showing up to where the like the quote-unquote real nazis are where they're like in real life, like, with swastikas and, and you know, carrying, uh, you know, signs and things and being like, oh, like, mm, this might not be for me. Like, th- this is, like, this is and not. And they're transparently
1: like, pieces of shit.
3: Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah.
2: There's there's two things here for me, one of which is um, at this age, at 13, you are very much forming your identity in certain ways, and it it's possible. I, I, I don't say this to... Uh, not take this seriously but it, it is possible that he will be right-wing today left-wing the next year and then right-wing again and, like just keep kind of switching all over the place with his right. politics with his ideas and and that's not necessarily a good thing either but it is very much possible at this age to kind of go back and forth between things i feel like we've seen that happen with some people online it 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 is a thing that happens another thing i keep thinking of for everything that has to do with like recruitment and everything that has to do with like recruitment into hate groups and and alt-right horrible vast shittiness uh affiliations i guess is that you know we're starting to see some interesting work done with like um the kinds of folks who will take a person from a hate group and bring them out like the that sort of I, I forget what the term is for that but like there is an actual sort of enterprise like people who are ex-nazis who go like and feel out the people who are in those groups that are sort of a little bit uh, that have some sway to them and like bring them out of it and help them like get rid of the tattoos and get rid of all these things and get rid of all these hate things and I'm almost like I I do sort of wish we had that for the online version of this as well like Somebody who can kind of come into these communities and de-recruit. I, there's a term. De- de-radicalize. De-radicalize, sure. Absolutely de-radicalize folks who are kind of like, I don't know if I really believe this, but the memes sure are fun. And just be like, no, sweetheart. Like, this is actually a very dark path. And this is not going to lead to good things.
3: That de-radicalization work is very interesting. And it, I, I feel really conflicted about it. Sure. because Because uh, it's obviously very good if people are leaving these hate groups and helping other people to leave them. But the internet and I, I I say the internet, but it's really just Reddit. This is where I've like come across it. There's like this one black guy who has helped de-radicalize like 200 KKK members or something and like wow. collected their robes and things. And it's like, this is like a very good thing that this person is doing. It also should not be the work of, you know, a, a black person to Absolutely. do that, yeah. that sort of work. And, Presumably, like, Reddit is a very white presenting space. And it's like, look at this black guy who, like, got all these totally. people to leave the KKK. Like, why can't everyone be like that? Like, this this guy goes viral on Reddit, like, every three weeks. Sure. And it's like, this is just a really weird thing. Like, a weird...
1: I don't know. Like, there's there's another well, layer there. Well, it's like there's heartwarming that- stories that shouldn't be heartwarming. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's exactly. Like, it's, it's kind of that thing where here's a massive structural problem, and here's one person right. chipping away at a situation that is getting worse. And, they're, and they're, finally, those individual... Like,
0: Workers pool together money to buy car for single mother right. who can't afford it. Like, right. It's like... Maybe we should find structural ways so that person can afford a fucking car. Yeah,
3: and it's also like this this guy in particular has a very fraught relationship with Black Lives Matter, and is like, why can't you guys in Black Lives Matter be more like me? And then like people on Reddit see that, and they're like, oh, why why isn't Black Lives Matter just talking to KKK members and getting them to leave the KKK? And it's like this is like a really psychotic thing. It's like a it's the the it's very dark. Like if you look a little bit like one step deeper underneath this, yeah. Yeah, this like
2: hundred
3: heartwarming story, I guess. Um,
2: so there should be structures for de-radicalization, like not it should never be the work of one marginalized person. Like it would be much better if there were like giant groups or actual structures. Well, it's also
0: the case that like also these platforms make it so like easy to find these fucking spaces. Like that's a huge yeah. Let's prevent like, them from getting radicalized de- in absolutely. the first place. Oh, yes, <laughs> right. yes, like, why does, yeah, why right, yeah like why why are alt-right spaces given? Uh, pri- I mean, well, it's easy because they make money off of them. Like, that is that is why this occurs. Like, yeah. But, like, if there was, whether it's through, you know, uh, more self-policing from the, the platforms themselves, which at this point I think they've been given enough rope that, like, that's not going to happen. And so it's like, there needs to be stricter regulation that, like, deplatforms 100%. this kind of speech where it's like, look, you want to get together, motherfuckers, like, go build your own little hate palace and, like, hang out there. Um, but I don't... It's these platforms, you know, like to say they're progressive and they love diversity at the same time, profit um, and, and expand like the the ease at which extreme rhetoric is allowed to radicalize itself and, and find easy ways to network.
1: Well, I think there's a very – <laughs> tech loves to pretend it's agnostic and that it can somehow eliminate problems without ever specifying which problem it wants to eliminate. So like there's this like thing going around – couple weeks ago about Microsoft finally making clearing about like, here's good trash talk, and here's bad trash <laughs> talk. It's very goovis and gallant, right? And literally the difference was bad trash talk is hey, you play like a racial slur. Yep. And good trash talk is like, you play like a piece of crap garbage school, like baby. <laughs> and like neither of those is good, right? Neither of those is going to foster a healthy community, but like What you tend to be driving at with a lot of the solutions proposed here is we're not going to identify the actual thing that's causing problems. We are just going to talk about a lot of these behaviors and traits and incidents that we can then screen for. And if we meet enough criteria, we will ban communities and, 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 and uh, users who exhibit these behaviors. Who can say who this is targeting, um, but we're, we're confident that it will, it will address the problem. And what you like almost invariably start. You're missing your target uh, for one. And two, you're almost always unintentionally going after other groups uh, or, or maybe, or maybe it is intentional, right? Like this, this is the thing about like Twitter in particular about the way their rules are applied. Uh, but what you end up doing is because you just can't say, "Look, we need to get these fucking Nazis off this platform." Instead, you keep talking about things like, "Damn, there's just so much negative speech on Twitter. We just need to we just need to raise the level of discourse on Twitter uh, without actually identifying a group that's causing problems." Yeah,
3: yeah, we've written quite a lot about content moderation, and we've you know met with the people who actually make the rules at Facebook. We've gotten leaked internal documents there. We also uh, had some reporting from in All Hands meeting at Twitter about their Nazi problem. And the whole thing is it's very disheartening because the the people who are working on this problem want to solve the problem, but the parameters that they're given to solve the problem are like yeah, but we can't take a political stand because <laughs> that would be bad, and like we, it would become difficult for us to enforce, or it it become difficult for like Mark Zuckerberg to explain like how, why are you being biased against conservatives or, or what have you? And this is like a rhetoric that's been deployed by the right, like to great success, which is social media platforms are are you know censoring us, and they're censoring them because the most extreme stuff is getting deleted only the most extreme stuff, but the stuff that leads to the most extreme stuff and the stuff that is still very harmful and still very harassing is left up in part, I think because, uh, platforms fear this, you know, this shit show that they've had to deal with for years at this point. And, You know, many of their customers are racist. Many of their customers are uh, homophobic. Many of their customers are harassing people. And they want to allow all of this because they are able to sell ads against it. And Facebook and Twitter want to be platforms. They don't want to take a stand. And the second they have to take a stand is the second that they then become responsible for all this nonsense that's on their platforms. And so you have people who, like, have a million law degrees and have worked in, uh, you know, governments and people have worked at the UN working on this problem at Facebook but the parameters that they're given are like, yeah, do this but don't fuck with our business model (laughs) and so it's just like, it's really hard to make rules that make any sense like given those given those parameters
2: without fucking with capitalism
3: exactly
1: (laughs) speaking of selling ads and fucking with capitalism quick break (laughs) And just so you know, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to be discussing uh, the movie Jason X, and we're going to be getting into some uh, descriptions of somewhat graphic violence in a uh, really cartoonish slasher movie. Uh, So be advised that it is going to contain descriptions of that sort of violence. All right. All right. Just a couple shout outs here uh, toward the end. We've gone a little bit long with that with that uh, first topic. The the story of uh, little Sam and and his rescue at the Nazi rally. Um so, uh Danielle, Patrick, you like y'all had a conversation the other day about how good Jason X is. Oh yeah. Um Okay. Yeah, you're expressing skepticism, Rob. You know, continue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. So, in general, the arc of long running horror franchises, they tend to like become. Go to space.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and they become like really pitiful shadows of what they <laughs> used to be, right? So, like, I am really curious why Danielle was so enthusiastic about, enthusiastic about Jason X, and you shared that enthusiasm, Patrick, <laughs> given that wow. we're a long way removed from Friday the 13th. Rob, when you are
0: when you're laying down in the trash, occasionally you find like something that smells you know, a little less shitty, and you're like, "Damn, nice job, trash, <laughs> being less trashy." Uh, I, I guess before I get into to, to my own uh, defense or less uh, <laughs> defense is maybe like too strong yeah. uh, word of a word, Jason X. Yeah. Um, uh, Dana, I'm curious how you fell into this trap to to begin yes. with. Yes, um, the last time I watched it was because I did a feature for Kotaku. Rewatching, there were like two Friday the 13ths like in the calendar, like like back to back months. And Steven still was like, "You like horror movies? Go write something." And I was like, "I'm just gonna drink a lot of beer and rewatch all these movies." <laughs> Excellent. So that's the reason I did it. How did you fall into into this?
2: Yes. Well, all right. I'll uh, I'll paint you a picture. I had a very busy weekend. Please. I uh, I competed on Saturday. And then that was all day. And then on Sunday, I was oh, wait, like... hold,
0: on hold on, oh, hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We just You can just, like, say you competed. Let's, like, give a little... Set up what all you right. did so we can give you a nice little round of applause. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I competed in submission grappling. That's my sport. It is, like, wrestling, judo, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really good. I got a gold medal in one division which was was good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I did not do as well in the other division, but I did have one really good submission win, so it wasn't all bad.
3: The picks look badass.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wore my Cyborg Panda Rash Guard and my uh, San Junipero uh, Black Mirror episode uh, gear. So, I, uh, you know, what I try to do is blind my opponents with flashing (laughs) colors and dorky shit. And then uh, all day Sunday I was on my ambulance Uh, And so I was very tired. It was a tiring weekend. I have a standing friend date with a very close friend. And every Sunday night we watch movies. We either watch like a cult movie or like a horror movie or something uh, that we're just both interested in. Like last week we did Green Room, which maybe one day we'll talk about. Really interesting thriller. Oh yeah, great movie. Yeah, I really loved it.
0: Speaking of Nazis. Yep,
2: exactly. It's like, this is on, on point right here. And the other night it was like, all right, we're both exhausted. We're both in the mood for something real trash. Jason X. Jason X. made the cut.
1: Did you buy that, or was it just streaming it's somewhere? It
2: it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. You can just watch it at any point in your life. It's
0: worth two ninety nine for it renting. Is. By the way, I'll defend it that far. If you're if you're the kind of person that would even consider watching <laughs> the tenth in a, in a Jason franchise, like it's worth the two ninety nine if you haven't seen
2: it. I, it truly is. I think it is. Uh, I'll talk about the plot in just one second, but I will say I think it is a wonderful bad, just capital B bad movie. Like, it is a wonderful piece of trash if you're in the mood for trash. So the plot is as thin as it is, uh, Jason has been captured. The whole, it begins this way. Jason, the you know, the masked killer of of Friday the 13th fame, has been uh, captured. Okay? We got him. We got him. Yep. David Cronenberg. Mission accomplished. Actual, real life David Cronenberg, it plays a scientist who's like, what? let's get him out. Through a mishap, Jason is frozen. Fast forward 450 years into the future where there is a spaceship full of both teens, science teens, and mm-hmm. space marines. Classic. Both, both. I don't know why they're both on the same spaceship, but they are, and like a corrupt scientist. They have gone spelunking in old Earth and they have found both frozen Jason and a woman whose name is Rowan who also got frozen in a mishap trying to sort of capture Jason again? Okay, they awake uh, upon this spaceship where there are again horny space teens and space marines. Again, I don't know why this is what's going on. My
1: they- skepticism is gone. By the way, i <laughs> i bought the ticket uh, to the end of the line. Yes, uh, let's let's go. I've heard nothing here that's not tremendous. We're going
2: to space. Of course, Jason wakes up and murders a lot of people, but he only wakes up because he heard teens having sex. He only, there's like, there's is like a real? literal, I swear to Jesus, this is what happens. He hears the teens being horny.
0: Yeah, I'll, 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 look, I'll read, Rob, I'll read from the plot summary on Wikipedia. Here you go. While Stoney and Kinza are having sex, Jason thaws out and attacks
2: Adrian
0: <laughs> Literally Adriel,
2: what
5: happens? Then
0: freezes, then freezes her face with liquid nitrogen before smashing her head to pieces. On a counter.
2: Yep. This classic. is what happened. A lot of good <laughs>
1: horror A
2: lot of boobies. There are so many boobies. There is a nipple gag. I'll, I will have you know. There, Of course, one of the horny space teens is a scientist named Sunarin or something who has given his robot girlfriend nipples. And one of the nipples falls to the floor with a clatter, which is a thing that happens in this movie. Uh, and of course, later on in the movie... Uh, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling things here. but No, you can feel free to This movie's from 2002, okay? You're
5: good.
2: <laughs> uh, and you don't need, to, <laughs> don't need to worry about spoilers. But later on in the movie, they have a very low chance of surviving. When MK, uh, space robot girlfriend, has sex with Sunarin, their chances of survival go from 12% like to 53%. Man. And he says, want to go for 100? And they bone. One more thing I have to tell you about this movie. There's also a whole bunch of, like, Space Marine moments where it's, like, knockoff bargain bin alien, like, walking around the spaceship, which for some reason has a lot of spikes. It's very Mortal Kombat. And, of course, Jason kills a lot of people. And there's a lot of people dying on, like, really terrible lines. Like, there's a person who gets sucked out into space, and she's like, oh, this sucks on so many levels, then dies. It's amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. There's movie shows very early on that it knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what it wants to be. It is 100% in on the joke. And there is a moment in this movie that is like actually smart. There is one moment in this movie that's actually smart. There's sort of like a VR system. Like it's basically a holodeck and they trick Jason into not killing them for a few minutes by creating, by recreating the lake in 1980 uh, or 84. I forget what year, the 80s lake, right? where two teenage uh, hot, or they're not teens, but, like, they're hot young women appear, and they're like, do you want to drink some beer? Do you want to smoke some pot? We love premarital sex! And take their shirts off, and that's how they distract Jason for, like, moments at a time while the teens try to survive a whole bunch of other things happening. It is actually a smart moment in this, like, happy-to-be-doofy-and-goofy-as-rocks movie, and it's like, you know what franchise you're in. You're making a comment on your franchise and you're doing it in a way that is actually pretty funny. Good job, Jason X. Rob? Yeah,
0: the, only <laughs> thing I will add, the only thing I will add is I, I echo Danielle's like, it's uh, when the horror, I, I've said this before that uh, I get very excited to find a horror franchise that stretches into the seven, eights, and nines because as someone that. Watches thing. I I enjoy watching things twist themselves into knots to justify, however loosely and however poorly, a reason to keep going. It's just like I just find that like it just like tickles me to like, all right, what's the the bullshit they're gonna come up with next? And um, often they don't. There's a reason horror franchises tend to get more comedic over time because the the monster gets less scary, and thus you have to lean into something else. You know, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. You know. Uh, Halloween less so a little bit. Um, and, and Friday the 13th is absolutely the case, um, where the kills sort of become the, the, the reason you're watching the, the newer ones. Um, Jason X was just like refreshing and fun because like it knows it's like some bullshit. Like it's, 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 itself commenting on the genre, relying on the trope of go to space because you've run out of things to do. Um, in the space before so it's a fun goofy time you know especially if you enjoy watching horror movies with a couple of drinks this one (laughs) earns it I do want to point out some trivia as we close out this shout out too uh, to explain what eventually initially got Rob on board Uh, David Cronenberg's cameo was done as a favor to his former protege Jim Isaac the director of Jason X for loaning his Canadian based production crew to him in exchange he wanted to get killed on screen, which is uh, which it. is good, and I just want I want to I truly close with the final line of the plot summary to Jason on Wikipedia: <clears throat> <clears throat> On Earth Two, a pair of teenagers beside a lake see what they believe is a falling star. As Jason's charred mask sinks to the bottom of the lake, the teenagers go to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. I've
3: got to shout out this it. series because uh, I've traveled a lot through Please. Latin America. And uh, it's the only reason that a lot of people there can pronounce my name because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no yeah. like J sound in, in Spanish. And so people are like, oh, <laughs> I love it. Like I get a lot of like Jason, which is fine. Um, but then people are like, oh, no, I, I know Jason. It's from the movie. Like there, the there movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hockey mask, <laughs> like <There you> go. <laughs> the same guy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, y- yeah, I know him. That's me. <laughs> I know him.
2: Yeah, like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's heartwarming. <laughs>
5: um,
3: I haven't yeah, seen I any of them. G- I have nothing to add <laughs> beside
1: that.
3: Although this sounds like a fantastic, a, so,
1: a
2: good time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh this week, I it was going around Twitter the other day. It's an interesting article. Probably, if you know like theories of um, like learning and education, it's probably less interesting. But uh, there is a piece published by a uh, so, uh, the next Apple software engineer uh, Andy Madishek, and he, he published this piece about why books don't work, uh, which is you know kind of one of those intentionally provocative titles. But the piece is really about how bad we are like communicating information to people in a way that will like be made useful and recallable uh, to, to the, to the audience. And he basically is laying out why a lot of the things like our most common forms of uh, communicating important information are pretty much ineffective at giving people information. They will be able to utilize themselves and apply. And so, the, the general thrust of this isn't just that books don't work, but also it's that the way we, in general, teach things doesn't work for the most part. Um, so, it, you know, he's talking about how, in both the case of like lectures and books, the problem is that attention wanders. And also, in both those formats, there's nowhere to sort of apply the knowledge. If, the, if, if, there's, one, if there's one major takeaway here, uh, it's that you know, to understand something you must actively engage with it. And books for the most part, even if you read them and you think you're reading them closely, a week after you've read like a heavy nonfiction book or something, how much of that are you actually going to recall? Right? Like you might recall like you might recall the same information you'd get you'd recall if you just read the intro, but in terms of all the stuff that lays out the case, you probably don't Know how a theory works. You don't know how to apply it. And I found it really interesting because it resonated a lot with something I have struggled with, I think, over the past, you know, basically since college, right? Like, I've, I've, you know, when I go back and I look through my list of books I've read and, you know, stuff I've researched over the years, I'm continually frustrated with why it feels like, in some ways, I don't, I haven't learned all that much since college. Like, why are things I, learned over the course of like researching a thesis or something still really like fresh in my mind like why why can i still sort of recall that information almost on command versus why have i looked into so many topics since then and still feel basically like i, I can barely scrape together a wikipedia level summary of my understanding of a topic and this piece sort of unpacks why that might be Right and why a lot of the things we we do to convince ourselves, oh, I'm learning material here. I'm engaging with material. I am, uh, you know, gaining gaining new resources, ends up being ineffective. And sort of the thing this is gesturing towards, because this you know this guy's writing from the perspective of design, is how do we create materials that are more effective teachers? Right? How do we reimagine the book? If our goal is to communicate information and give people – like turn it into a tool in people's hands, how do we reimagine something as traditional and simple as the book in a way that when someone has finished it, they will actually have a working applied knowledge of the subject of that book rather than just kind of a pre uh, So I thought it was a really interesting, interesting, interesting story, and I don't know how much, know how much new is there, uh, but a lot of it was stuff I hadn't considered.
2: Something I think about a lot, uh, especially in terms of my little sort of mini career in EMS, uh, especially because I, you know, I volunteer two to three times a month. I'm not doing it every day. And so I am constantly sort of going back and refreshing, like, my protocols. Like, I keep going back to my literal textbook and being like, okay, I haven't had a cardiac arrest in a long time. I better, like, read that before I go on my ambulance next time. And I I constantly feel um, like shit, I haven't prepared enough. Like, shit, I need to keep going back to this and keep going back to this and keep going back to this and repeating and repeating and repeating and or using like the the whole idea of I'm not sure. I apologize. I didn't read the piece. But if, if he talks about different learning styles and different, you know, oh, is it better for some people if they hear something versus if they read something versus if they watch something or, you know, sort of other methods. And I'm constantly like, shit, while I'm, you know, playing this game for an hour, I better put on, you know, that lecture on whatever it is on, on pulmonary function or something. Cause I feel like shit, I, I kind of have an idea, but like, damn, I should, I should really listen to that again. So it's very like, Oh, if like the sand is all kind of just falling through. Maybe I should be doing yeah. something different as well. That would actually help.
1: Yeah. The pieces like more about theories of pedagogy, from the position of the learner of the teacher rather sure. than thinking about individual learning styles. but uh, it, it's definitely approaching it from from that level of just in general to saying like pretending that we all learn the same way. Um, right. Here are the ways we pretty much universally fail, uh, which which I thought was interesting and I think um, definitely has kind of a resonance in this era where we have so many different tools than just, words on a page.
3: One thing that stuck out to me about this piece, which admittedly I I read it right before we started talking, but so often what we're trying to convey, like there's a line in this piece that it's like, if you read uh, guns, germs, and steel, you can distill what you learned in it to like two or three sentences. And I think so much of what we learn from reading a book is like, here's the main idea. And then there's like a million details that support this main thesis this main idea that it's getting at and often there's not a way of applying a lot of that knowledge and you can think of that in the same way that you think of like long-form journalism as well there's like you can have this fantastic investigation that you know is narrative and has uh you know it's a joy to read and it's four or five thousand words but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, yeah, the, the story is about prison abuse in, like, Louisiana private prisons or something. And and that's, like, the takeaway from it. And I think that doesn't make those that form of knowledge or that uh, – it doesn't make a book or a long form not worth doing and not worth, like, documenting in that way. But I think it's, like, you need someone to do the legwork to be able to draw that conclusion, to push out to the rest of the people uh, – and then the people that are reading that book or reading that long form, they don't necessarily need to understand all of the ins and outs. But as long as it's there and as long as they're able to pull away that, like, main conclusion, they have then – like, that's been a worthwhile thing for them. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if that's what you took from the piece. But that's sort of, like, what I sort of – that's how I read it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. The Guns, Germs, and Steel thing is interesting because – In general, all you need to do is take away the thesis. And the rest of the book is justifying that thesis and explaining why you should believe it. Uh, But you don't necessarily need to have a full command of those examples. And that's probably... On the one hand, it's why this is maybe less of a problem than it, than it first seems, uh, but it may also be a kind of sign of the limitations of a lot of the ways that our intellectual discourse operates, right? That like, we do tend to operate in this mode of, here's the thing I actually want you to take away from this. I want you to have this idea in your head at the end of it, and then everything else there is supporting that idea. You don't need to remember it, but I do need to show it to you. I need to show you the work. Uh, to persuade you that this big takeaway idea is is worth taking away, and I think that's fine. Particularly for journalism, I think that's you know one of the major points. But there's there's too much that happens in the world. You can't ask people. You need now. You need to take a multiple choice quiz to really make sure you've locked in uh, into your, into your mind uh, the evidence behind uh, you know the abuses and, and exploitations of a private prison system. At the same time, I do think that um, when we're, th- there's, there are also a lot of materials that we, we are trying to come away with some kind of working knowledge of a subject matter. And we tend to still struggle at how, like, at ensuring people can comprehend and apply. Uh, you know, the, the analytical tools or the, uh, you, know, you know, or the theoretical structures uh, be, being offered. And I think that was something that I definitely, I definitely came away kind of provoked by, I guess, this, the, the, this notion that, uh, you know, I think we, we all have those things where we want to keep informed about the state of the world, but I think there's also a lot of stuff we engage with in the hope that um at the end of it we will have we will have internalized something that we can then use uh, you know throughout our lives moving forward and it is kind of humbling to realize yeah actually right now the way a lot of us are are accessing that information and and learning it we're kind of kidding ourselves we are you know that's me in the thousand podcasts i listen to every mm-hmm. yeah i
0: i mean I, honestly like i the, like uh you know this this piece reminds me of how i think of my own knowledge consumption where i because the nature of like my life and my kid like i do a lot of like walking around the house like watching her setting her up with things and so i don't have a lot of time to read like usually free time i have in the evenings is i should probably play another hour of this video game to for work um and so reading largely gets put to the side because it requires such a solitary focus. Um, and so I've relegated that to podcasts where I'm constantly changing and curating my podcast feed to like touch on topics that I otherwise would be reading books about. And so the reason I listen to podcasts at 1.5x is because like I'm just churning through all these different podcasts, you know, sports and news and politics and – and and and. Uh, All sorts of different things. But, yeah, I do wonder sometimes, is it just, like, I'm checkboxing, like, cool, like, I'm becoming more knowledgeable. (laughs) But, like, if you actually asked me to explain, like, a deep analysis of, like, 25 hours of, like, what's wrong with the criminal justice system, could I give you, like, a lot of, like, detail from that? Uh, Probably, probably not. I don't know. Like, I haven't done the test, but my guess
1: is I would fail the multiple choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think this is one reason why. Like lately, I found myself, and this is probably not a. This the solution literally doesn't scale. Uh, it, like because this has been bothering me more and more. Like I am increasingly like when I when I come across a section that seems important, I'm increasingly like resorting to taking note cards out and indexing stuff and like writing up basically taking notes as if I'm taking a course on the book I'm reading, um, and that does that definitely helps me. I think lock in the information a little bit better and remember more salient points, but again, you also just literally quadrupled the length it's of time it's going to take you to to read a book, right? Uh, and so you don't get the uh, you know the quick hits that, that, that Patrick I guess is chasing. Sorry, yeah, don't mean I mean, to,
3: I mean for me, I did I, mean to no, Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I think it's definitely something where reading helps a little, watching a video of whatever you're trying to do helps a little, watching a podcast helps a little, and then actually doing the thing that you're trying to do or or seeing it in action on your own helps a little. And it's hard to quantify like which of these things is most helpful. And it definitely varies by person. But I think it is a very interesting idea that we as humans have not developed a method of information transfer where there's not some loss and there's not... Like it's inefficient, no matter which way you do it. Um, and I, I, as we're talking, I'm thinking of this in like terms of when I just wanna complete a task, like this is a very specific, um, you know, we, we've been talking about the criminal justice system or, or like headier topics or, uh, you know, EMT and cardiac arrest. But I'm thinking like, <laughs> if I wanna cook something or if I wanna sure. like do something uh, in a video game even, like I can read the walkthrough or I can read the recipe. And sometimes I read that and I'm like, I don't even know what this means, where it says like, oh yeah, like uh, you, like the uh, water will boil off and then there'll still be oil left if you're like making dump- frozen dumplings or something. I did this the other day and I'm like, yeah. I guess I'll know what that means when it happens. And then right. I, I do it and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is this is it. And I'm from cooking previously, like I know how to do this now. Um, but that's something I had never done before and reading about it didn't really help because I was just like, I don't really know I don't have the terms and the experience needed to know what to look for and like in a video game walkthrough or something it's like oh yeah I have no idea <laughs> like I've been playing Dark Souls for the first time ever awesome. and I cannot for the life of me figure out what humanity is um, I don't think it's very well explained in the game and I have also <laughs> like correct yeah, Co- <laughs> Jason you have diagnosed D- Dark Souls correctly yeah and I've like read the Wikipedia page for it and I'm like I don't know I know that it's an item that you can collect but I also know that it's like a state of being in the game but I don't know what it confers mm-hmm. to you I don't know if you ever need to be a human. Uh, so far, I'm just like, I guess I'm dead all the time and I'll just keep playing that way. <laughs> and then, like, I got to the gargoyles. I, I don't know. I guess some of you have probably played Dark Souls, but um, I got to, like, the gargoyles and I kept dying to them. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to use a humanity. And then I'm able to, like, summon someone to help me on this. And I'm like, I guess being human means that you can summon people, probably other stuff too, but I'm still you, unsure. I think you
0: get more. You get more health. You can summon, and so basically, you spend most of the game dead and getting used to being dead. Or what, I forget what the, termino- the terminology is that the game uses. Hollow. Yes. Right. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> um, uh Because it's like a it's a it, it, it's an item that you're using, so you should just get used to like not using the item unless you need to for like a particularly tough moment. Yeah, that that game doesn't explain a lot of its bullshit. That's not. That may be by design, but it's also a failing that they get better at as that series goes on. Yeah, but that's off
3: topic. But I was just like, i read a lot about that and no one was able to like explain that in a way that made any sense. And I don't know, it might be one of those things where it's just like, oh, you experience it for a while and suddenly it clicks. And I think that extends out to a lot of the ways that we transmit information in a written form.
2: With uh, jujitsu too and, and, and grappling I could watch hours and hours of instructional videos and none of it will make any sense until I put my limbs into the right place and, like, actually physically understand what it means and maybe that's my learning style and maybe that's just that particular endeavor but there's so many things and this might be what you're saying and it might not be what you're saying but that you just actually do need to experience it and experience certain types of feedback to make certain things click in your brain
1: yeah that's exactly it okay yeah (laughs) i mean like to me i think a lot of like board games here um i almost never want to play a game where nobody at the table has played it before because somebody needs to have a feel for what is right, for, sure. for how this works. Because for me, like, part of it, I struggle massively with, with instruction manuals, uh, in part because uh, I also just think I don't have a, an amazing attention span, uh, and so it is, it is tough for me to, uh, like, really follow through sort of a sequence of play that is described and the way all the mechanics are applied. But once I see the thing in action it will make perfect sense. Like it makes perfect sense to me. I'm like, okay, now I get how this game works. Now I know how, now I know how like, you know, this, not only do I see how procedurally a thing functions, but I also immediately start to understand the why it functions that way. Like the the logic unfolds itself to me. And I feel like that is kind of my relationship to a lot of topics writ large. Right? Like, and this is, you know, again, this is the point they're specifically getting at with, you need to actively engage with something there are so many ways, and video game tutorials, I think, run a follow this, where you'll over-tutorialize early on, and you'll introduce something, but you won't keep reinforcing it. And so if you forget that, like, oh, yeah, there's that one thing I could do, and you don't do it, like, if you're not immediately, like, at, like doing that thing again and again, utilizing that mechanic, uh, executing that move, really quickly it fades from mind, and you can end up playing, like, an entire game with only having used a fraction of, of what's there. Um, and I think that's, that, that's sort of something I, I I see repeat with, with a lot of different, uh, forms of, forms of knowledge and, uh, you know, and learning. But, um, obviously like how to learn more, how to, how to get better, how to understand more and, and retain those lessons, uh, is, an important topic and something that certainly we all uh, struggle with as as time goes on, and something that we will obviously continue to wrestle with here on Waypoints. Uh, I think that will do it for this week's episode. Our uh, thanks to Two Mellow for the track "Slide Asleep" off the album "After Midnight." You can find that at Two bandcamp.com. I haven't updated any of this. You can keep <laughs> up with all of us at Waypoint.Vice.com. That'll work.
5: You it find, still you, works, you, as of today it does you go
1: to waypoint.vice.com you won't actually go to waypoint but <laughs> you'll, you'll find us <laughs> <laughs> Jason you look horrified no no I it's, I tell people to
3: go to motherboard.vice.com it's the easiest way to do it I don't think that uh, vice.com slash tech doesn't always seem to work I think <laughs> just use the URLs you've always known and, uh, you and trusted love. and you, you'll find us there
1: uh, Patrick, can people keep up with you online?
0: At Patrick Klopek.
1: Danielle.
2: At Danielle RI.
3: Jason. I'm uh, at Jason underscore Kebler. And we also have a podcast called Cyber. Please listen, like, subscribe, etc. Uh, it's Hell all about yeah. hacking, disinformation, things of that nature. And thank you so much for having me.
2: This is so good. Thank you.
1: Hacking, disinformation, things of that nature. Yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Stephen A. I've, and, got no, a just... I've got a
5: crack.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The Pelican's don't. getting. Mm. It stopped. I know, but. Seventh. Well, wow, I woke up seventh. cracking up about it. I was just, I was seventh. dying. Fucking uh, bulls. You can keep up with me uh, on Twitter, at Rob Zachney. Um, I may have said that already. This episode is produced, as always, by our producer, Kato. You can find Kato at A underscore Kato underscore Peers on Twitter. Uh, that will do it for this week's Waypoints. We hope you've enjoyed the break. Uh, please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, if it allows such a thing. <laughs> I like to think we're a five-star podcast, but it's not for me to say. We'll be back again with Waypoint Radio on Friday. You should also be sure and listen to our new podcast, Be Good and Rewatch It, where this week, me, Danielle, and Natalie revisited the 1995 Pride and Prejudice miniseries starring Jennifer Ely and Colin Furry. Man, I should
2: should update this thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hope you'll you'll join us for that and join (laughs) us again next week for Waypoints. But until then, do not give in to astonishment.
3: The number one financial destination, YahooFinance.com.
4: But
1: hold on! Oh my god! Like the fucking those are different.
4: Those are like different things, though. I feel like
1: yeah, but I but I like I have zero interest in the like giant Dorito boat, basically that Uh, is the corn shell tortilla.
4: You mean you're not going to get the Doritos Locos fiery shell on your taco, like I do every time I get one? A literal Dorito?
0: That sounds f- so fucking gross. I'm it's gonna be
4: amazing!
0: Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, lots of it. Th- you, you go know, to yeah, Taco Bell for amazing.
4: a specific type of thing. And it is. To die. Yeah, exactly. It is not for any sort of semblance of authenticity or even good food. It is for this weird amalgamation of
0: tastes that you can't find anywhere else <laughs> that is the most generous <laughs> interpretation of taco bell i have ever heard come come here for a taste you can't find anywhere else i mean can
4: you like that's it's like so specific that i i don't even call it mexican anymore. i'm not saying I've you're wrong i never called I'm just it mexican
0: we got a we got a sarah huckabee sanders over here spinning the taco <laughs> oh,
1: bell god damn it <laughs> See, at Taco Bell, you're running for the border of a different reality <laughs> where, like, like, like you're going into this fantasy world of, like, Tex-Mex, like, Bill Build that foods. Dorito Bowl.
0: Build <laughs> yeah. that Dorito Bowl.
1: God damn it.
0: Just know what you're supporting.
1: By the comment. way, I did, I was really pleased when I realized that you take a burrito, um, like, a, like a burrito tortilla. Mm-hmm put a little bit of oil on it, put it over the back of a bowl, put it in the oven, toast it lightly. Oh, what a good taco salad bowl. Oh, hell yeah.
4: Nice. It's like a life hack.
1: Just bring
0: that, just make one of those and bring it it to Taco Bell and just like, (laughs) yo, can you put it in here? Can you just fill this? (laughs) And could you just extrude that meat? Bring, bring
1: your this? own tortilla. Is there other Taco Bell's for <laughs> no? I got
0: <laughs> Just put the garbage
1: in here. I, I'm here for the high quality toppings. That's that's why I'm here for.
4: So where else are you gonna drink Mountain Dew Baja last?
0: I'm not, yeah, I can't. At least on that point, I cannot argue with you.
1: <laughs> Let me uh, get my recording going here. Yeah, it looks good. Looks good.
2: Bring the notes up. <laughs> okay.
1: And I'm on time. Dot is. Uh, ah so... shit.
4: Ah shit. Also, Jason, could you put your phone on airplane mode? Yeah. Thank you. I'll do that as well. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Love to have oh. a vague cato. Huh? Did you hear that? Down.
4: Uh, that did nobody be, else hear that? that must on your phone. I did hear that. I got a little bit of it, but it was very soft. Oh, gotcha. That's why airplane mode is a...
2: It was, like, right after I put it on airplane mode. Is it, it like...
4: like, It's, like, it's
0: death now. It's, It's like...
2: like, (laughs) Don't disconnect me from my source of power. Amazing.
0: Death (laughs) kneel, please.
2: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Hacked. Wait,
3: let me tell Emmanuel that I'm gonna
4: be on airplane mode just in case. Yeah, you can connect to Wi Fi still. Just oh, okay, turn the I'll, cell. I'll off. You can tell a
2: DM instead of text.
4: No, that works. <laughs> the cell thing is the one that it that yeah, with okay. audio. All right, all good then.
2: Who wants to clap?
4: Um, oh, right, that's what I was doing. Okay, I'll clap again. Okay, I'm not on, I'm just clapping. What. <laughs> I'm not on I'm not on this podcast. He's I'm just not gonna talk
0: his okay. hands are just doing a brief. Uh, I, uh, I, was like, are
1: like, I was like, you well, you have to be on time.is to, to do this. So you should be on <laughs> <He met>. time.is. <laughs> Alright. Alright. Uh 42. let's go at all right. I love it. I love ooh. Ah.